Today on the Four City Church Elgin podcast, teaching pastor Steve Carter's message is titled Fresh Start. We're talking fresh starts today. I uh, was up at Hume Lake Camp. Um, The last time I was at Hume Lake was 2015, and we all got evacuated because of this fire. And we actually thought like the whole camp was going to burn down, and, and miraculously the fire a whole wind pattern came down this canyon. The canyon's called King's Canyon, which is just godly. And all of a sudden, this wind just blew the fire a different direction, protecting and preserving this camp. It's just wild. My first time back there, and I was with um, a bunch of recovering addicts. And the truth is, we're all addicts. We're just addicted to more socially acceptable things, like our phones, our workaholism, busyness, But here were some guys, 600 of them, who had some addiction patterns. And it was amazing to see them worship. It was amazing to see. And I just remember this guy just coming up to me after, and he was like, today is my fresh start. And it just hit me. And I I, I was like looking for the hook of this entire teach. And I looked at this guy and I'm like, bro, you don't even know it, but you just preached to Chicagoland. But I I was thinking about this, man, we all are longing for fresh starts. And so what I want to do, just for the next 20 or so minutes, I want to walk you through the scriptures, and I want you to see how this concept of baptism was this beautiful idea of fresh starts. But what's amazing is if you're familiar with the scriptures, you might see an idea at one point in one place but then over time, it just continues to evolve. It's almost like a, it's like a diamond that you turn and it begins to reflect more of its uniqueness. And so when you think about baptism, you got to go back to the, how the Jewish culture understood it. And they had a word, it was called mikvah. And mikvah literally means in Hebrew, a collection. And so what they would often do was collect rainwater. And they put them in these pools. And this mikvah was an opportunity for you to walk in and be cleansed. It was used for purity. It was used to, as you walked into the temple. It, it was this sense of just almost sanctifying and consecrating yourself. It was this mikvah. And every, every so often, whether there was a temple feast, Every so often, whether you were getting married, every so often, if there was something important, you would enter into the mikvah. Because they didn't have showers like we have them. And this mikvah was the sense of purifying and cleansing. It was a fresh start. But then you get to the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus, and, and, and many scholars would tell you, is the first book of the Bible. Genesis is just the backstory. Why I say it's the first book of the Bible is because Moses wrote. He wasn't there during the book of Genesis. Genesis is like the campfire stories that got them into the Exodus. And the Exodus was a time of profound difficulty, oppression, and slavery. And these people just made bricks. They had used their time, their resources, their money, their, their one and only life to build up something that was not their own. And if they didn't meet their quota, they were beaten. It was a really difficult moment. I love that the scripture says that God heard the cries of the oppressed. That's how Exodus really begins. And God begins this 
rescue mission to rescue those that are in bondage. And you might remember this story, but the Hebrew nation is beginning to move, and they're, they're moving. And after all of these unique plagues, and those plagues go after Egyptian deities, every single one of them, these plagues, finally this last one triggers the whole Egyptian nation. They're just like, get these people out of our sight. They're bad for business. And so the Hebrew nation goes, and then there's a change of heart. And the Egyptians are like, we can't let our entire workforce go. And so the sounds of chariots, the sounds of horses, they are just chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing after these people. And maybe some of you have experienced that with addiction. Maybe you've experienced that with trauma. Maybe you've experienced that with the lies from the pit of hell. It's just chasing and chasing and chasing. And you find yourself with your backs up against a wall to go back to a familiar position that's not healthy and helpful or to be still and let God fight for you. And in the moment, what you begin to see is God parting these waters. And it's a communal mikvah. And the entire nation of, of Israel walks across it. And what's so amazing and crazy about this story is that all of a sudden, that was what was oppressing them gets washed away. And they stand on the other side. And you can read this in Exodus chapter 15. They stand on the other side and they don't even know what to do, but one woman, Miriam, goes, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to sing. Because sometimes you don't know what to do, but just lift up a luya. And this woman begins to sing, and the whole nation begins to sing. Exodus 15 is the first worship song in the scriptures. So you have one sense where mikvah becomes this sense of purifying and cleansing, but then you have this like almost communal mikvah of the crossing of the Red Sea, where all of a sudden you recognize that we together have been freed from something, but now we've also been freed to something. And for many of us, Oftentimes when we're freed to a new reality, freed to uncertainty, freed to the unfamiliar, we often want to go backwards, don't we? Because we know how to control that. But the invitation all in the desert, the invitation for the Hebrew nation was to begin to hear and learn the voice of God. And then you get to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's this guy who eats honey and locusts he like wears clothes made out of camel's hair. He, he doesn't work in like the temple, which was kind of like the, the, the religious machine of the day. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And, and he's probably, scholars say, a part of the Essene community. And the Essenes are the ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. And many people believe that this is how the Essenes actually lived. When they would write the scrolls, they would write one letter, like bet, one letter. And then all of a sudden they would run to a mikvah to purify themselves. They'd get out and then they'd write the second letter. Because to them, the word of God was so holy. It was so just undeniably of God and they didn't want any impurity to get in the way. 
And this is who John the Baptist is. Has nothing to do with like the, the temple, money-making, machine, power structure of the day. He's out in the wild. And he's this rabbi with authority. And he's screaming and eating grasshoppers and honey. And he's telling people to be baptized. Hear these words from the book of Matthew. It says this. I baptize you with water for repentance. I love the word repentance. Some of us, some of us grew up in a culture where that word was used as a weapon. I remember I showed up as a fresh, uh, not a freshman, a sophomore at Grand Rapids Community College. I remember my first day there, there was a guy with a sign and a bullhorn and he was screaming, repent, repent. And he walked up and he followed this girl and with a megaphone and bullhorn and sign, screamed at this woman and this woman just broke down. Now I was a film major. I didn't really know what I was doing with my life and the spirit of something came over me. And I ran and I took that dude's sign and I threw it and I stood on this table and just began to preach. And I was like, this is not what God says. God talks about repentance. God talks about love. And, I, and all of a sudden these students at Grand Rapids Community College are like gathering around. And then I hear, Boo! and all of a sudden the police are showing up and I'm like going, I am going, 19 on fire, going. And then the police officer is getting closer and closer. And he's like, hey you, come here. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, did you take that dude's sign? Yeah. God's really love, all about love, right? Yeah. He took his bullhorn. Yeah. Oh. He goes, if you ever do this again, I'm going to give you a citation for inciting a riot. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I remember this moment. I remember this moment where I was like, Man, it's so hard because this word repentance, we've just ripped it from its original meaning. You know what it really meant? In, in, in Hebrew, is the word teshuva. It's just beautiful even to say it, teshuva. And it meant to come home. It meant to come home. I mean, at any moment of any day, of any time, of any season, teshuva, you could come home back into the presence of God, back into who you were always intended to be, back home. And John the Baptist saw how this whole temple system was perverting this book. And so he goes out into the desert, out in the wild, and he goes, I want to baptize you, and I want you to experience the presence of God. You can come home. And then he says this, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he's talking about his cousin, Jesus. And I love it. So he just says this. And then the way that Matthew writes it, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And look at the words of Jesus. Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I love that line. Because in one sense, Jesus has been perfect. Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. 
But there in great attachment theory, it's not just when we are baptized, attaching our lives to the cross. What Jesus models is his attachment to every single one of us. What Jesus models is his attachment to this world. And I love this phrase, fulfills all righteousness. And in the Hebrew scriptures, you can never separate righteousness from justice, and you can never separate righteousness and justice from shalom. You could turn every page, one scholar says, and find the themes of righteousness, justice, and shalom. And Jesus says, for me to enter into the mikvah, to this communal mikvah, to these baptism waters, it actually fulfills all the righteousness. It's gonna fulfill the justice. It's gonna fulfill and give people a chance at shalom because he understood the mission that his father was sending him to die, to be buried, and to raise again. You fast forward and you get to Romans chapter six and you see Paul trying to make sense. And Paul grew up in a mikvah culture. Purify yourself, cleanse yourself, make sure you look good on the outside. He understood how the people had been liberated from the exodus, but he begins to understand that through the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection, there was a new exodus happening, a new way of life. And if you've been here, you've heard me say it, that Four City Church Elgin, we exist to help you live a more cruciform kind of life, a life that's shaped and formed by the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection. Let's see if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter six. I want you to see this. I'm gonna read a little bit and then try and break it down for a few moments. But he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? This is, this is what many people thought. You know what, if I actually sin more, I can experience grace more. So let's just go live the craziest life possible and then I can just keep feeling the sense of goodness and forgiveness. And Paul's like, it doesn't work that way. He says this, by no means, verse 2, we are those who have died to sin. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I mean, this is what's so beautiful and powerful is that Paul begins to recognize, oh my goodness, what happened to the oppressors in that crossing of the Red Sea? Something similar happens. When a 13-year-old Adriel, when Ray rolls in, when his daughter Abby walks into those waters, when we see people from our community walk in the water, they are walking in. And as they walk into those waters, and all of a sudden they begin to actually go down underneath those waters, it's as if they are symbolizing that they too, with their one and only life, have died to the past. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been buried, and as they rise up again, it's a reminder that Easter didn't just happen almost 2,000 years ago. It continues to happen even here in Elgin. Amen? 
because fresh starts are possible. Fresh starts happen. And that's what the baptism waters offer us. But it continues on. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, in the same way, this is, this is for every one of us. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are no longer under the law. You are under grace. Grace. And here's the thing. And I, I, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand this. I've been doing this for 20 some years, ministry. I didn't understand this until a few years ago. I, I've always loved baptism. I, I'm a puddle when baptism happens. Because I often, I often find myself when all of a sudden that person comes out and I recognize, man, this person's an Easter person. They have raised, there's a new life, there's a fresh start. But you know what I began to realize? Is the more I sat with guys like Ray, the more I know a little bit about Adriel's story, the more I understand and we heard your story what it takes for every person to get to the place of surrender to recognize I gotta go in that water with my one and only life I want it to be crucified to the cross I want to die and be buried I want to find my life in Christ and I want to rise again not just in this life but also in the life to come and what I began as I heard these stories began to recognize, oh my goodness, the power. The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, has this great line. He says, the greatness of a man or woman's power is their measure of surrender. It's their measure of surrender. And that's, that's at the heart of baptism. That's at the heart of saying yes to Christ. That's at the heart because you end up saying, I surrender control. You know, after, after Jesus says, let it be so now. This will fulfill all righteousness. There's this great, great line. It says, so John consented. He didn't like it. He didn't want it. He didn't think he was holy enough to do it, but he consented. And I'm telling you, friends, consent, surrender is a gateway to experiencing God's renewal and restoration and resurrection. 
I'll end with this verse, and I, I, I pull it on my phone uh, because it's Eugene Peterson's breakdown of Galatians 3. And he says this, but now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. What's amazing is when, when you got baptized back in the day in the first church, you would walk in and oftentimes you would just take off the robes of the old kind of clothes and garments. And you would enter into those waters and they would baptize you. And as you walked out, you'd be handed a new robe. And you would almost be putting on these new clothes and you would wear those clothes. And you'd wear those clothes for an entire week. And then you'd come back after wearing those clothes. And then they'd have this almost conversation like we often do when we flip the, this kind of sermon and I start asking you all questions. And we'd interview people and we'd be like, hey, what did it feel like to wear those clothes? And you're like, man, it, I had to actually see myself as God saw me. I had to learn how to walk in love and walk in grace and walk in peace. I had, to, I had to learn what it meant to walk in new life. And that's why when you read the New Testament, it's always like clothe yourself in love. It's all baptism language for these new believers who are beginning to walk as fully devoted followers. So I don't know where you are today. Some of you maybe are like, you know what, baptism, baptism is just something to cleanse me. Okay. Maybe some of you for baptism, man, it's a sense of, man, I've been freed from something, but man, I'm being freed to something and I gotta, I gotta actually step and I need God to walk in this season of uncertainty. Maybe for some of you, you know that you are carrying something and you have just been pushing God away. And maybe the invitation is from a little John the Baptist saying, I baptize you so that you can experience the power of coming home. Maybe for some of you, you've actually You've been a follower for so many years and you're like, man, I, I know, I know, I should, but I haven't. And maybe you just hear that phrase, if Jesus is willing to fulfill all righteousness, maybe we should too. Maybe we should too. Or maybe for some of you, it's just that sense, oh man, I haven't actually ever realized that my baptism is connected to the cross, to this cruciform life. And man, I just, I need, I need to die, but I need to rise again. And I need my friends to experience that. And so what I, I'd love to do is I'd love, if, if you have actually decided to be baptized, I think we have six people. Would you, would you please stand up? If you decided to be baptized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it is a historic thing, you know. You will always be the first ones who got baptized at Forest City Elgin. We're excited. What I'm gonna do is we're gonna let you guys kind of walk out those back doors first so that you guys can get all set and then we're gonna talk behind your back. No, just kidding, we're not, we're not. We're gonna walk out there, all right? Um, also, um, if any of you need to use the elevator on your way out, I wanna invite you guys uh, to make your way to the back because um, 
just want you to be able to have time. And we actually, if you need the elevator, we gave you some parking and, and seating right at the front by the baptismal. The ushers can help you there. Um, but I also, I also just want to say this. Some of you might be here, then you're like, man, I, I think I want to be baptized. And we'll just say, that's great. We'd love to make that happen. We, we got clothes. There's a bathroom downstairs. Um, in a few moments, we're going to head down to an old church basement, if you've not been to it. And um, Stephen Timlick and the team and Rex, they, they set up a, a little hot tub. Um, and we're, we're excited um, to baptize. Uh, it's going to be a moment. And I, I say this often. Some of you might be like, well, I can get, I can get to the Elgin Pub House quicker. Um, I could bounce out. But can I just say this? This is, this is a moment of family. And why I think baptism is so important is that every one of us get to be kind of the bridesmaids and a groomsman. You, you've known if you've ever been in that in a wedding, you pay 150 bucks and you sweat like crazy. You give up a whole Friday and Saturday. Why? Because you believe in this couple. Because you believe in this couple. And you actually, by being a groomsman or being a bridesmaid, you say, I will stand in the gap when this couple goes through struggles. And they will. And you actually say, I'm going to be the kind of person who's going to be prayerful. And I'm going to be someone who encourages. I'm going to be someone who's going to in inspire or remind them. That's what it means to be a bridesmaid and a groomsman. And the beautiful piece is in a moment we're going to be downstairs. And we got to be that for these six. You're going to see these six. And some of them are going to be serving or singing or sitting and worshiping. And you're going to be able to walk in and be like, I was there. How's it going? How's the faith journey going? And you're going to be able to spur each other on. This isn't a place where we want you to be able to hide out. This is a place where we want to draw you out and draw you closer into the presence of God. Amen. So when we're down there, the team's going to be down there. We're going to sing. We are going to cheer. We are just going to have a moment just to celebrate what God is up to. Amen. Awesome. Let me pray. And then we will head down to an old church basement, which I can't wait. God, I love you so much. And you are a God of fresh starts. And I actually believe that there's some people here right now that need a fresh start. A fresh start when it comes to their marriage. A fresh start when it comes to how they see themselves. A fresh start when they begin to really, really, really begin to look in the mirror and begin to wonder, man, God, what are you doing? What are you doing with my life? And, and maybe just today, they would be reminded that what you started a long time ago, you have not You've not stopped and you won't stop until you bring it to completion. What I love about you, God, is that you'll never force yourself onto someone. You'll constantly and gently and kindly and graciously and beautifully and powerfully invite us to take the next best right step. And so God, we celebrate the six and we also look forward to seeing maybe there's more. And so God, I pray that we as the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, we'd celebrate this bond that's about to happen downstairs. These people committing their life to you, declaring publicly that they live their life for you and for you alone. So have your freedom, have
have your spirit have full reign of this time. We pray all this in your name and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. You've been listening to Teaching Pastor Steve Carter with a message, Fresh Start. Thanks for listening.